This is Sharon Steitler, the bird chick, and I am here with non-birding Bill. Hello. And it is our goal to podcast from time to time and kind of, sort of, talk about birds. Once every eclipse. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any big eclipse plans? Uh, No, I'm going to be working, and hopefully I'll be able to run outside to catch it. Yeah, I'm working. Uh, My job... (laughs) I think your job will allow you some time to go outside and look for the eclipse. My job is basically going to consist of me trying to keep children from staring Staring at at the eclipse, yeah. And and the more at first I was like, well, maybe I should get some uh, volunteers to help me out with this. And uh, so I run two visitor centers at the Park Service, right. one in Minneapolis and one in St. Paul. And so I've been corralling uh, the visitors. So the one is is at the uppermost lock on the Mississippi River, and I feel pretty good about that. I don't think we're going to get a lot of kids wanting to run out onto the lock wall. I think it's mostly going to be people coming from their lunch sure. breaks in downtown Minneapolis. Yep. But uh, the Science Museum, where my other visitor center is, uh, is planning this huge event, and they've asked us to be a part of it. And we got in some super special National Park Service special events junior ranger badges, nice. which if you heard me bitch about senior passes in the last episode, <laughs> junior ranger solar eclipse badges are the new senior pass for right. me. But now I'm just like, oh, that's going to have a lot of kids there. Mm-hmm. And the, the National Park Service has this junior ranger booklet that, does come with glasses, which mm-hmm. now I probably just outed myself because right. everyone who can't find eclipse glasses, Jaren, can I have a Junior right. Ranger eclipse booklet? But they're not like glasses you can easily stick on your face. You just right. kind of have to hold them in front right, of your right, face. Right, right, right. So I, I was now I, I called a friend of mine. I was like, Hey, I know you have an office day, but can you please come to the visitor center and like help me make sure kids don't just like stare <laughs> at the sun? And then oh. I went to the because uh, I just found this out <clears throat> last week that the post office had special Eclipse stamps, which had thermographic ink, which, uh, like one of my friends didn't know when she bought them, basically it looks like the Eclipse, but if you put your thumb on it, or you, you, you expose it to heat, yes. they, you can see them. You can see the moon, or I guess it is supposed to be the moon, and then you take it away and it goes back to black. And I got the, I went to one post office and they didn't have any, and so I had to go to our main downtown post office, and they had just gotten some in. I got the sense that this was sort of like what you got to a lesser degree. They didn't seem as harried about this, uh, but uh, they're very cool stamps. Well, I will admit that uh, the the eclipse, it's something I knew that was happening this year. Mm. And I just knew in my brain, oh, I'm not going to go to totality because there are going to be a bunch of nut burgers there. Mm. You know, there's got to be someone trying to start a new cult or something. Sure. And then just everybody is going to do it. And it's just, and I remember about six months ago reading about like super eights that were normally 35 bucks a night or right. suddenly like 400 bucks a night. And yep. it's like, Oh yeah, that's not for me. But then I saw, Oh, Minnesota's 80%. That's still a pretty significant that's, eclipse. Cool. Now I just kind of hope it's cloudy. <laughs> Cause oh, it's, no. it's stressing me out. It's stressing me out. It's a horrible thing to wish. Well, here's the thing. If you don't have eclipse glasses and you're suddenly panicking about this, you can still experience this cool event without looking at the sun. As a matter of fact, I would argue that it's more interesting <laughs> to look at the light around you than Sharon's, actually... Sharon's suggestion, just look at a light bulb and hold your thumb in front of it. Have you seen the video somebody's putting out of the eclipse spoiler? No. And so they have their camera oh, facing sure. the sun and then a moon pie <laughs> stops in front of it. 
My favorite story about an eclipse is uh, Alan Davies, the British comedian, was watching it on TV, and he was complaining about the the because it was on. T- he was watching it on TV, and he goes, "The announcer couldn't just let us experience this majesty of nature." And, he goes, and here comes our friend, the moon, very much getting in the way. <laughs> So one thing I, I plan on doing for my staff is suspending the sales of senior passes. Sure. Uh, for like like 15 minutes before totality and about 15 minutes after. Sure. Just just so we can all just have a moment. I know. I just know. People are going to be upset. Actually, I'm, I'm just saying. Here's what you just, just say to them. If you demand, I will take the sun away. <laughs> no, someone's going to come in demanding a senior pass from me mm-hmm. and then eclipse glasses from the museum, which sure. the museum is out of mm-hmm. at, at this point. It's just... What is what are the eclipse glasses made out of? Because as I recall, like the last time I recall eclipse being like a major... It was it was still like, oh, a bunch of holes in a piece of cardboard. And that, and that was originally what I was like, planning on doing. Was but like, apparently there are cardboard. glasses that allow you to look at the sun now? I think now? it's mylar. Oh, okay. The, you, okay, now here's the thing. If you have these eclipse glasses, you want the shiny side uh-huh. to be towards the sun sure. because that's going to be reflecting the most light. Okay. And it, on the off chance you haven't heard, there have been some, uh, well, I don't want to say rogue eclipse glasses. There have been some so ones shoddy that don't ones. Work? Oh, that, okay. Yeah, ones that are going to risk your eyes. Mm. The best way to test this is to, if you have a pair of eclipse glasses, uh, put them on and then face them towards an LED light. You know what? If I, you can see any of that light, it is not safe to use that towards the I sun. I wonder if there are couples who are trying to conceive at the exact moment of the eclipse. Did you not see the Craigslist ad? No. There was a guy. Oh, excellent! Looking for a special lady oh. to come to. See that you gotta have a lot more planning than that. That's something like... he w- he promised right. that his penis would be facing the sun <laughs> at the exact moment, and that was when uh, you needed to be on top, or well, I don't know, I don't right. know, I don't know. I couldn't understand if he wanted to do this standing up or if he was going to be on the bottom. But yeah, there was already someone on Craigslist. Well, I that suppose was... it would depend on if you were on the ground or on the side of a mountain. Or if you're bent. That's <laughs> two. <laughs> so, anywho, the eclipse is... Oh, and I did... I had an article in Outdoor News because a question that surprised me, and, and I don't think I'm the only person birder to get those questions, like, how is the eclipse going to affect birds? There are a number of people out there mm-hmm. who are concerned that birds are just going to be dropping from the sky and going blind because they're sure. going to look up and see what's going on. I don't seem to recall this ever happening during other solar eclipses when birds people talk about... Yeah. They might look up. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, I just, I got a notification. Put your pet inside during the eclipse. Don't let it risk looking at the sun. You know, birds, some birds, uh, birds never look into the sun before the day is done. So that might confuse them. Wait, According what? According to Terrence Trent Darby. Wishing well, wishing well. No, that's, that's his other song. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, how long does he, like... How long does the eclipse last from, like, the moment where the moon is sort of moving in? Touching the sun? Yeah. It's like a three-hour event. Really? Yeah. Okay. I mean, this this thing, this is, you're just going to suddenly notice that, wow, the light's weird outside, and it's just going to get weirder and sure. weirder and darker. Because I darker. remember from Lady Hawk that it actually ended very quickly. Totality does. Oh, okay. Um, totality is only, like, a couple minutes. Okay, so if you are under a curse where you turn into a wolf at night and uh, the woman you love turns into a hawk... During the day, you have you have you have a time frame to kill the evil bishop that cursed you. And please, if you're going to do it this time, get a better soundtrack. We should so Lady Hawk. 
Only if it has a different soundtrack. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and if you're wondering why Bill is so excited, he has figured out how to show movies on the roof of our apartment I building. Figured out. I finally. Yes, I, I figured out how to buy a video projector <laughs> and project it on a wall. Yes. And it's. I it's, really smashed that. I am the modern day uh, Da Vinci. <laughs> I think, and the, the best part is, is you know, we're putting up signs yeah. in the building to invite the neighbors. Yeah. And I wonder when they look at our movie selections. Yeah, so I think airplane people wanted to come, but maybe yeah. it was just Thursday yeah. night. But, you know, real genius. It's like, oh, this was. Yeah. And now tonight they see that we have Octopussy up, and they're yeah. just like. That was a special request. That was, that was a special choice. request, yes. So. We do take requests. <laughs> All right, so uh, so the eclipse. Okay, so the eclipse is happening. Uh, yeah, and I think, the, actually, in e- eclipse-related news, if uh-huh. you do not have an iNaturalist account, now uh-huh. would be a great time to sign up for one. iNaturalist is very similar to eBird. Only you're not just reporting birds, you're reporting everything. Anything that's living. So wildflowers, um, bugs, spiders, mammals, moss, trees. Mm -hmm. And so what I... I, I, Well, (laughs) what's handy about iNaturalist is if you don't know what something is, you can post it on there and people will identify it for you. So yeah, if you don't know what a feeling is, someone will tell (laughs) you. (laughs) But... um, so what iNaturalist is asking is that this is like the first time where we've had a whole bunch of citizen scientists out able to report weird things that they see or what they notice. So they're asking you like 30 minutes before whatever is totality where mm-hmm. you are just to document what you notice as far as wildlife, insects, who's singing, who's not singing, this, that, and the other. Then during totality, do another entry. Right. And you don't have to do it while you're watching the eclipse. You know, sure. can do it later. But do take note while you're at totality. Did certain species stop singing? Did crickets start going? Do you suddenly hear a screech owl? And then 30 minutes afterwards, you know. Now, if totality lasts more than four hours, who should I consult? Neil deGrasse Tyson. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> nice. Or Bill Nye. He's, uh, a, no, no, no. he's, he's, how do you like this? Bill Nye, the National Park Service wants to work with you for the eclipse. Oh, cool. We're going to send you to Homestead, Nebraska. <laughs> Okay. You'd be down with that. Yeah. They probably actually have, like, I would imagine they probably have a, well, maybe not that specific city. They have some good observatories out there because there's not a lot of. No, Homestead National Park Service-wise is where it's at. Yeah. Um, yeah. I imagine that it's like you build, you build observatories where there's not a lot of uh, light. Yeah. I don't know about that, but this is just, this is just where it's going to be. But yeah, so again, with the eclipse, don't, don't freak out if you don't have the stuff to look directly at the sun. You can do the pinhole method. Mm -hmm. Um, or the box method like we yep. did in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, if you have a tree and it's not cloudy, mm-hmm. check out the shadows under your tree because you see like hundreds of eclipses. Those are the pictures I'm looking forward to. Oh, sure. Of people taking pictures of mm-hmm. all the crazy shadows that happen and all the crazy crescents mm-hmm. that you're going to see. So anyway, it'll be fun. It'll be great. And all you people who are thinking, oh, I just and thought I would drive down on Monday and see where I could land myself. You're insane. And You're if, not going to get anywhere. If you want to plan ahead, there's going to be tota- there's going to be a total eclipse of the sun in Minnesota in just ninety years. Yeah, twenty ninety nine. Something like that. I hope I'm not alive. <laughs> I know how done I am with society no. this week. I can't imagine how done I'm going to be in twenty ninety nine. All right. Do we have any other? Uh, we stories? actually have stories. Okay. Excellent. So uh, the All Bird Bulletin. Uh, came up, did an article about needing a field guide. To- so there's, wait, there's the ABA, the ABC, and now the ABB. Um, well, actually, the <laughs> website is NABCI. Oh, okay. It's 
It's got to be North American Bird Conservation. Okay. Something. Anyway. Anyway, I should probably actually know what these are. I just there's so many <laughs> ABC, CBS, ABA, CPO Sharky. <laughs> so uh, it's an article in the All Bird Bulletin from mm-hmm. nabci-us.org. Uh, Great URL. Whoever grabbed that it's one. The, it's a. It's it's got to be the North American Bird Conservancy. Yeah. Guys. I don't know. No, it's not G. But uh, so it's talking about uh, a study that was done to try and categorize bird watchers. (laughs) This is something that people spend a lot of money on because this is how you market to birders. Oh, okay. So, okay. So lay it on me. Okay. Do do you have, do you have an idea of how this played out? No, please go ahead. (laughs) Okay, the large diversity of birder identities was a challenge in understanding. Fortunately, we were able to condense the 14 identity types into four overarching groups, each containing closely related sister identities. Sure. Or sister wives, if you will. Yeah. Uh, So the four groups are as follows. 55% of respondents, uh, they they identified as self-reliant birders. Okay. Love to leisurely watch birds and enjoy them, even if they don't know many of the kinds they're watching. Okay. The most important parts of birding for them are feeling connected with nature, being attuned to birds, and being respectful of birds. Okay. Less than half of these are highly motivated to partic- to participate in doing any hands-on conservation work, such as providing bird habitat around their homes or advocating for bird-friendly policies and regulations. Casual birders, the cash. Yeah, it's interesting that it's called the self-reliant birder, because mm-hmm. it's like, well, if you don't care... Right. It's, yeah. They're doing it for themselves. Yeah. All right. Sure. So that's, that's 55%. Yeah. So just a little over half. All right. Then there's have equipment, will travel birders. Yeah. 21%. Are those the hardcore birders? Uh, want to explore birds near and far. Okay. Like to try and identify every bird they see wherever yeah. they are. Love the sense of discovery they get when they find an unusual bird and mm-hmm. feel a sense of accomplishment when they use their identification skills. Okay. Which I feel like, oh, I, I, I'm digging that. I, I'm digging I that. that. Yeah. Yep. And about a third of these birders are highly motivated to use their participation in citizen science as a form of conservation. Which I would agree I, with I, that. I, yep. yeah, I, I, yep. yeah. All right. Uh, home as habitat birders, mm-hmm. which is 12%. Uh, want to build a habitat for both birds and family members in their backyard, and they enjoy a wide variety of birding activities and like to go on field trips to look for birds. They have a real passion for helping others learn about birds mm-hmm. and bird habitat, and nearly half these birders are highly motivated to provide native plants and other habitat improvement around their homes. Sure. I know quite a few of those. And then the fourth, and this is another 12%, inquisitive information-sharing birders. Which I was, at first I was like, well, that sounds like me too. Mm. Um, they want to learn as much as they can about birds. Mm-hmm. They want to help others learn about birds too. They want to contribute to citizen science projects, but for the fun and personal challenge rather than to contribute to conservation science. Mm. Indeed, none are highly motivated to participate in any kind of conservation, but they are among the most likely to record bird sounds and engage in natural history investigations in the birds encounter. I don't know that I would have made that distinction as a group. Oh, apparently. And these are people who filled out a survey uh, uh, through Cornell Lab of Ornithology. So, like, if you've engaged with Cornell through sure, any of their sure, programs, sure. you were probably offered this survey. I probably well, I filled that. out I mean, I wonder survey. if that's, like, a, a, a technology thing. I mean, like, that they enjoy, like, I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm going to get weird here for a second. Like, people enjoy collecting VHS tapes. These people enjoy collecting bird sounds, and they want to share this and, you know, trade them and sort of do that. But it's not like... They don't want to travel to Guam and, and record the birds that are there. Yeah, 
no, and I, I mean, well, you you see that a little bit here in Minnesota. Mm. People who are just only interested in their Minnesota list, they mm. really don't care to go mm-hmm. elsewhere because they they're very focused on their state or their patch. Okay. But um, it's definitely something interesting, and, and a lot of people have been arguing about this about how little people want to engage in conservation, mm. and it's like. Well, I would kind of look at this, especially inquisitive information sharing birders who aren't motivated at all to do any kind of conservation, but find a way to get their, you know, they want to learn as much as they can, find a way to kind of mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. manipulate them into contributing <laughs> to citizen yeah. science. I mean, this is something that we've talked about before, and it's like, I don't have a pro. I don't hunt. I don't have a problem with hunters, and they are a great force for conservation mm-hmm. because they are acutely aware that this could be taken away from them, mm-hmm. whereas a lot of burgers, I think, don't really put that together. Oh, they are now with the border wall. Yeah. Boy, oh, howdy. Okay, well, that's that way. There we go. <laughs> and if you uh, didn't hear us talk about it in, in the last podcast, and actually, if you're kind of curious about what you can do, so Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge is uh, in a lot of trouble because there is a border wall that's going to go through Mm -hmm. there that's not going to keep anybody out. Right. And it's going to gut the refuge. Mm -hmm. And not only is it going to destroy very sensitive habitat for a lot of species, uh, it's also a problem for some critters like tortoises that, you know, try to escape rising waters and they're not going to be able to get past that wall. Who is building this wall? Technically, the United States government. Well, I mean, like, who is... is I read... In one, in one of the stories I read, it was the Army Corps of Engineers. Yeah, that's good. Was... Okay. Because it's a long waterway, the Rio Grande. Sure. So, can we... Can... Are, is anyone suing to prevent this? There is a group, and that's one of what I wanted to mention, yeah. called Save Santa Ana National Wildlife mm-hmm. Refuge, and they're on Facebook, and they're organizing a series of protests. It's people who are down there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I had a mistaken post on Facebook because I saw uh, Jeff Gordon, the president of the American Birding Association, post a picture of a uh, protest that was happening mm-hmm. last week, and people hand-in-hand along the border wall, locals uh, and people from around the country protesting it. And I meant to say, I wish I was there, but I said I was there. I was like, no, I'm not really there. Uh, I just oops. really wish wish I was so I was not at the protest but if you want to uh if you want to find out about protests that are coming up if you want to look for solutions I would check out the save the Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge Facebook page and they will let you know what you can do to help okay so here's what I'm here's what I'm hearing about this from the stuff that I'm hearing from you and the view stories I've read on my own is that they're not using eminent domain to do this they're just building it they're just going in and like starting to do the the prep work for mm-hmm. this and not telling anybody if they're not doing it through eminent domain can't the people who own this land or can't the the state or the park or whatever sue to stop this because if it was eminent domain it would be like okay well you're screwed you're screwed because... but you still have this channel of being paid right for... but there's not any what i'm hearing and maybe i'm incorrect on this is that there's not any like, people are just discovering, oh, hey, there are these mm-hmm. Army Corps of Engineers guys Pretty out much. here doing this. It's not the Corps. It's a consulting <sighs> firm that's doing it. Right. Remember how I used to work for some of those? Yes. Um, but it's like, there's no, it's not, there's no legal framework whatsoever. There's, there, yeah, I was, I'm sure the National Butterfly, there are the National Butterfly Association that had the, the private contractors mm-hmm. hired by... Uh, the Army Corps to -hmm. do some land surveying, I'm sure they're looking into options of suing and whatnot. Part of the problem that you have is that this is a tiny border town. Mm -hmm. And so you have most people across the United States... 
being distracted by all kinds of other horrific news going on right now. Right. Just being like, oh, this is a border thing. This is a border thing. This is a tiny town. Who cares sure. about butterflies? Butterflies can fly over a wall. And so I think you have that mentality right. to dealing with that. And I would argue, if this is happening in these tiny little border towns, you should pay attention. Because right. what if suddenly we decide that... We the, the government decides that they want to do something with your private land here and skip eminent domain if there's already precedent precedent to do that. Okay. The other thing is that you can't necessarily do this on public land, but mm-hmm. if you also look at some of the laws that are being proposed about easing up what we can and can't do with federal lands and can the president sell off some of our land, mm-hmm. some of our public lands like National Wildlife Refuge areas or But Bureau I would assume, but what I'm saying is like, I assume like, Sierra Club or Greenpeace or something. Like, these people would be bringing lawsuits about this. And I'm I would not hope hearing so. anything about this. I would but hope not, so. Yeah, so what's the... I would hope that they're organizing and getting that ready. Or are okay. all these groups just dealing with so many other things? Okay. There are a lot of things going on right now. And right. it's just, you're hearing about Santa Ana so much because I love Santa Ana. It's right. a, it's a okay. beautiful refuge. But... It's it's hard when you have really tiny towns on the border. Mm-hmm. And if you've been to Mission, Texas, the wall is going to go right in the middle of that town. It's mm. going to literally divide the town. Right. It's, it's scary and it's unbelievable. And I wish more people would pay attention to it. But I think for so many people, if you are nowhere near Texas, mm-hmm. you just don't pay attention to it. And I think another thing that's at play... Um, If you talk to people who have done any kind of environmental impact surveys in Texas... Which is another thing. Things can get weird in Texas. If you talk to people who've done this, you sometimes have instances where you go down to do the survey Mm -hmm. and the company goes ahead and starts building and saying, we know you have to do this. It's a legal requirement. Go ahead. We're going to be optimistic that... There's not going to be any kind of environmental impact here. All right. And if there is, well, we've already built the plan into the budget. It's okay. See, but that's the weird <laughs> thing for me is that, like, okay, I know energy companies have a lot of money. It's like, I don't, like, this wall is not going to generate money. I mean, the people who built, like, it, conceivably, if a company gets a contract to build this, that's, they're going to get that money, but it's not like it's an energy company. I would company like to know where, where the like, money is coming from yeah. for this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I would, I'm. I guess that's on me to investigate more and find out like who's filing Freedom of Information Act. Uh, you need to get Tony Webster on this. Lawsuits and uh, who's like who's suing to find out what's going on. And part of the problem is, and one of the articles I read uh, about this was pointing this out, is uh, like when you get into these small sounds in the south of Texas, maybe they don't trust the Sierra Club. Maybe they don't like these you know these groups that try to protect the environment and in in doing so take away landowners rights but now you have the government coming in mm-hmm. and doing these mm-hmm. things and so mm-hmm. yeah. it's it's really scary if you look at what's happening with private property and public land along the border yeah. and if we let that happen there it's going to happen elsewhere yeah. and i there's this podcast timing is so <sighs> weird because there's so many awful things going on yeah. and I think the time for it. We just want to talk about birds, and let's let's leave no, the controversy out of it. Is it is, but I mean, we're now to the point where we can't just talk about birds because this is happening. No, and... that's what this podcast is about. We, we are allowed to define the the the. And we are we are allowed to say that a border wall is bullshit. <laughs> it's not going to protect anything. No, and it's going to do far more harm to wildlife than right. to keep uh, people from illegally entering the country. Right. 
I, I so. so it's 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 not going to do that's that's the frustrating thing is that it's not going to solve sure. any problem. Well, somebody once pointed somebody pointed out rather meaning like there if you put this on land, there's going to be American land that is on the other side mm-hmm. of the border wall. And what do people on what do Americans on that side do? Because the border the with Mexico, with, uh, Mission, Texas, yeah, the border yeah. with Mexico is the Rio Grande River. What are you going to do? Build a wall in the middle of the river? No. I'm sure someone is thinking, why not? Because you can't. You can't build a wall in the middle of the Rio Grande River. I wouldn't put it past this administration. Anyway. Anywho, anywho. So anyway, if you're (sighs) looking for things to do, how to help, uh, if you are someone who is planning travel to Texas and you want to know if there are any rallies while you're going to be down there, Save Santa Ana National Wildlife Refuge is the place to check. Okay, what else we got? Okay, and since we're in controversial territory, um, the there is a, a really lovely illustration going around from Ryan Berkeley, mm-hmm. and it is uh, a lovely illustration of cardinal, oriole, goldfinch, budgerigar, scrub jay, grackle, and oh, I don't know what this purple thing is. <laughs> it is a bird All I right, have not this seen is a bird before. Chick podcast number two twenty six. <laughs> It's beautiful. It's purple. Anyway, it's multicolored birds, Mm -hmm. and it's called Camaraderie. And if you purchase a print of it now, an 8x10 print, uh, 50% of the purchase will go to the Southern Poverty Law Center. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and so it's it's 20 bucks. so $10 goes to the Southern Poverty Law Center, and you get this really gorgeous print of some lovely birds. Okay. Uh, Yeah, so, so check that out online. And again, this is something where... Who would have thought that it would be dramatic to say, I don't support white supremacists. I don't. And if you're feeling like, boy, I wish there was something more I could do, buy a lovely bird print and uh, make sure that money goes to the Southern Poverty Law Center. And if you think that's controversial, you probably shouldn't be listening to this podcast. I don't think anybody would be listening to this podcast. You would Uh, be surprised. This is what's freaking me out, is uh, that on the Facebook page, sometimes I will post something that I think is innocuous, and then suddenly I will get a message from someone. No, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. This is not, I mean, it used to be like a once in a blue moon thing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was usually, like, a handful of people, and I knew who they were, and I'm just like, I'm just going to ignore you. You're the same old people. But, like, it's happened a few times. Like, the other day, I posted a link to um, a podcast Alec Baldwin does called Here's the Thing. Right. Alec Baldwin is even a little too liberal for me sometimes. (laughs) But um, I love that because he's essentially interviewing his friends, Mm -hmm. and he knows how to get good stories out of them. Yeah. He interrupts them like crazy. He's He's genuinely interested in what they're talking about. Yeah. So he, uh, the other day, he had a, a podcast on with a birder, and this guy's talking about how he got into birding, how he got into saving the Amazon, about how when he was nine and into birds, uh, he hung around with this really well-known local birder named Chan Robbins, you know, like one of the best U.S. ornithologists ever, and... You know, it was fascinating. And, and Alec is asking these questions, and he's using birding terms. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh, this is fascinating. So I just put it on there, and someone's like, ew, Shirley, you jest. You know, I think mm-hmm. not. And I, I just posted the Leslie Nielsen, don't call me Shirley. And yeah, I am serious. And then I just kind of, like, clicked on the profile, and I was like, wow, wow. I'm really surprised you like my page, because, oh, boy. We, yeah, yeah. Whoa. Mm-hmm. Wow. Racism. <sighs> Anywho, right. so um, so yeah, if you're feeling kind of down about stuff, you don't have a rally to go to yet because there's nobody's mercifully doing a pro-white supremacy rally, but you still want to contribute to people out there, get this print before August 23rd, and it's it's really quite lovely. Okay. Um, in other nudes, uh, news. news? <laughs> 
like where this podcast is going. We've always done this podcast in the nude. Yeah, uh, God. <laughs> the humidity there would be sticking to this chair like crazy. Welcome to my world. Yeah, welcome sure. to my welcome to women's world yeah. where we have short shorts and skirts. Yeah. You stick to everything. <laughs> Um, motto. Norwegian finds 4,200-year-old red wing preserved in ice. And a red wing is a kind of thrush. So oh, things okay. are melting because there's something called climate change. Sure. I don't know. And uh, Now, is this red wing like 52 feet long and is no, it's terrorize like, the it is like I've a seen red this wing. movie. <laughs> no, it is like your... Now, who knows what horrific disease is inside sure. it that is transmittable to humans as sure. they're dissecting it. But no, it's just really interesting. They, so they, we don't need to extract its DNA to create this because this species because we already have this species. We already have this species, okay. yes. But they can do nice. things like see what's in its crop, see what it ate, see oh, if it's... Nice. Some, yeah, so it's just really a fascinating thing. So check that out. Neat. When are we going to do a story when they finally figure... When they finally have de-extincted the passenger pigeon? It was actually, uh, oh God, wow, you really took me back here. It was like 20 years ago, I was reading a story about, uh, you remember the um, uh, winged, mi- like the, the people who did the uh, crane migration, mm-hmm. the people who like, they flew the ultralight. Fly away home, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was actually a science fiction story about, uh, I think they brought back the great auk. The, uh, was that a seabird? Yeah. Okay. And they talked about that. They're like, and there was like a little bit at the beginning of the story about like why they brought back the great auk. It's like because the guy is doing an interview about this, and he's like, "Well, they wouldn't bring back the passenger pigeon because the reason they killed those off is they destroyed crops, and they didn't bring back this bird because this bird was harmful to humanity." Like, great auks basically didn't bother humanity at that this we point. Know. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. That you know. But. Actually, I think it would be fun to write a story about bringing back the passenger pigeon, yeah. and then like the flocks get big like they used to, yeah. and they start crushing buildings <laughs> because that's what they used to do. Roofs yeah. used to collapse under the weight of all the passenger pigeons Bastards. that were on your home. Or then, like I don't know, there, there's also the whole mm-hmm. thing about if you're near a river, they would all like you know drop their load, mm. and uh, so like someone like were ends they? up dying uh, of were, bird poop. Were passenger pigeons? Because, um, spoiler alert, honeybees are not native to North America. Were yeah. they a pollinator? Because we had, there was a massive, I mean, the, the the indigenous Americans, there was a massive population at one point before the Europeans showed up. Yeah. And it was like, were the passenger pigeons the pollinator for that? No. Okay. No. What would be, what, what are you saying passenger pigeons would pollinate? The crops, the crops that the Native Americans would grow. Because no, at one point there was like, no, you know, no, no, huge, no, no, I mean, no, no, massive populations in cities. And no, we talk we've about, talked like, about the whole Lyme disease thing and passenger pigeons. Okay. About the whole thing. It, it, on the off chance you're new to the podcast, there was a theory out there that I read in a publication 10 or 12 years ago about how when oaks, when they have the mast, when you have the massive amounts of acorns, mm-hmm. um, passenger pigeons would fly to those. They were kind mm-hmm. of nomadic, and they would eat the mast very quickly, and they had a fast breeding cycle, and mm-hmm. they would just kind of live from mast to mast, mm-hmm. and, among, e- among eating other things. And that now that... Um, we don't have the passenger pigeon, and we have things like deer and mice and turkeys mm-hmm. eating the, the and squirrels eating the acorns, but they're eating it at a much slower la- rate. That that's what caused the deer mouse and the deer to propagate uh, Lyme disease. Oh, interesting. And that maybe Lyme disease wasn't as common, and you know people died of weird shit all well, the time. No, no the you point know, I, before sure. No, the point I was trying to make was this idea that if we lose honeybees in America. Everybody's going to die because we're not going to have anything to pollinate the crops. And I'm not saying that 
before the Europeans came to America, we had, but there were huge population centers. Yeah. Where they would have to grow crops. And I'm like, okay, they didn't have honeybees. What was pollinating these okay, crops okay. for them? Let me, let, let me explain something about some pollination stuff going on here. Okay. So when we first started Sharon keeping. Sharon has just turned her chair around as if she's going to, you know, seriously wrap with me. I'm going to with you. <laughs> Paul Splain. Paul Splain. Um. First of all, that's a really good question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> One of the first lessons I ever learned in doing TV was like, whenever someone asks you a stupid question, just always say, good question. <laughs> okay. Thank you um, for giving me this opportunity. <laughs> no, that's a really interesting question. So here we go. Uh, so when we first started keeping honeybees, I was all about putting out native plants Sure. To for them to pollinate and stuff like that. And the woman who was instructing our class said, here's the thing, honeybees are European, and so a lot of the plants in North America didn't necessarily involve attracting honeybees. It, okay. Im- it involved attracting hummingbirds. Ah. And hummingbirds have this really long sure, sure, sure. thing. And like some plants that are great for hummingbirds and even butterflies are terrible for honeybees because they can't get mm. down inside that. And that's one of the reasons why you have have things like uh, buckthorn and purple loosestrife. Okay. Uh, honeybees evolved with those. And oh, so they're all about pollinating that shit. Yeah. So, and, and apples. Apples aren't native to North sure. America. And honeybees are really good at pollinating mm-hmm. apple trees. So so there's that. That Now, that's not to say that honeybees can't pollinate right. some things. Like things bumblebees can go after, honeybees can. But things that we plant specifically gotcha. for hummingbirds, usually honeybees can't get into those. Yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it's really crazy. I was just wondering, like, the effect of you think of like, you talk about these the passenger pigeon being this massive biomass that mm-hmm. you know and is now gone it was like what what effect did that have on the plant life or the human life and like all or things, like yeah. as a source of food for yeah. predators sure uh, you know and it seems like but it wasn't like well and maybe this is my ignorance it wasn't like this was an extinction event in in north america when the passenger pigeon went away and like what what compensation occurred because of that? By the time that they went away, we had fucked up so many things who, Fair and that we don't know exactly how much damage we did. And then some things kind of filled that gap, like yeah. rock pigeons. Sure. I mean, rock yeah. pigeons are introduced. Sparrows. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like a rock pigeon is more mm. equivalent in size. Yeah. And, and, and okay. so, you know, you, you, ha- you have that. <laughs> I have to wonder if there's a... <laughs> there's a... Like a well, not a Disney cartoon, but like a, a last unicorn cartoon is like, you know, those humans have really screwed us over. But thank God they got rid of those fucking passenger pigeons. <laughs> now I kind of want to do a uh... man. Fuck those! It was you know, a, Lord, a Lord of the Rings where the passenger pigeons are the evil uh, overlords of America. No, but now, now I do. Want, I want a cartoon uh, with with the last passenger pigeon. <laughs> I am the last. And then, like, you know, we can't Everybody get Christopher Lee anymore. Yeah, you know, it's like Christopher Lee's alive. He is. I thought he was dead. He's alive. <laughs> Christopher Lee is totally still alive. <gasps> then we can get him, and he can be okay. like King Haggard, who's collecting all the passenger pigeons in the ocean. And I, I guess what would it shit. be instead of a red bull, the red goshawk driving them into the Maybe, sea? Maybe, yeah. The last. I knew you were the last. I suppose, the, yeah. I suppose the goshawks would be pissed off. Man, I used to be able to get a passenger pigeon whenever I wanted. Those things were all over. Now, the place. if I want to why, have a pigeon, I have to go into the fucking. City. Maybe that's why passenger pigeons are so crazy. Is they didn't have to try really hard to get a passenger pigeon. 
Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Who knows? All right. Anyway, speaking of pigeons, by the way, the best birding publication you can read right now is The Onion. Sure. Uh, they, they I, I consistently post articles from them, and sure. the current one is... Baltimore pigeon shocked to find beloved shitting statues are gone. Yes. (laughs) And this is in response to some Confederate statues going away in Baltimore. Anyway, anywho, just thought that was a chuckle-worthy type thing. The fuck, man? All right. I thought I had one more story, but maybe I did. Oh, I know what I had. I wanted to save something fun for the end of the podcast. All right. Uh, Oh, number one, I have a confession to make. Okay. I was involved in a flocking headline. Yes, you were. And it was... But you don't have to confess that. That wasn't your fault. You it wasn't my fault, that. but it's because this new station has used me for birding segments before. Right, no, it's like that thing where, like, every time I watch one of these CW superhero shows and somebody gets taken over, somebody gets mind-controlled, and they end up killing somebody. It's like, oh, no, I killed that person. It's like, no, you didn't. You weren't responsible for your actions. So, but yes. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, so this call came through about senior passes and I ended up doing a a segment for our park about senior Mm -hmm. passes and the headline they came up with because I am a birder is seniors flocking to buy $10 national park pass. Yep. Yep. Really? Really, dude? I'm so sorry about that. I know that it's like, it's, it really makes me appreciate more like when somebody does a really good, um, pun. Play on words, I would say. No, it's not a it's not a pun because you're not replacing the word. That's true. It's a play on words. So my favorite one of all time uh, was when a man named um, something. His last name was Foot. He was placed in charge of uh, uh, a national uh, a nuclear weapons uh, group, and the headline was Foot Heads Arms Body, <laughs> which is probably the greatest headline in the world. That is fantastic. In other news, uh, I managed to get a headline uh, for paddle birding. Yes. Spank, spank, spank. Don't paddle the birds. Anyway, no, it's about uh, going bird watching in a canoe or a kayak. Mm-hmm. And it's over on the National Audubon Society website at audubon.org. And so... you did a segment on uh, Almanac about our uh, paddle, paddle share. share canoeing program yes. here in Minnesota, which is really, I'm like, I really like that idea. It's really great. So, uh, and hopefully, other parks will start copying mm-hmm. this soon. Uh, we now have a program that we piloted last summer, and it's expanding this mm-hmm. summer. So you know how in some cities you can rent a bicycle mm-hmm. to tool around here? It's the nice ride. Mm-hmm. If you're in Paris, it's called the Lieb, um, and they have them in New York. Now in the in Minnesota, you can rent a kayak. Mm-hmm. And you can, like, if you just discover the paddle share station as you're walking along the Mississippi and decide, hey, I'm going to do this, right. you can, like, go on to your phone, rent mm-hmm. the kayak, you get a code, um, you get the kayak for three hours, you go downriver, you mm-hmm. get the paddle, you get a personal flotation device, and uh, there's a takeout station. And where the takeout stations are, there's usually a nice ride station. So, so if you, you get, can bike back to your... You can bike back. Mm-hmm. So like there's a real easy stretch, and that's what we did on the news, was you go down river three miles, and then you can go upriver. And there, there are restaurants that have places you can land. So it's like, oh, I want to go to the sample room and have a beer mm-hmm. or, you know, a meatloaf sandwich or something. So, And then uh, in one of our stretches, we have the Heron Rookery. So, yeah, it's it's a really cool program. And, yeah, it just kind of cracked me up. I do more canoeing than I do kayaking. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, we're filming this segment. It's like, Sharon, how long have you been kayaking? And it's like, this is my second time kayaking minutes. ever. <laughs> I'm going to be going slow. <laughs> but yeah, it's in in the kayaks are it's 
you have to work really hard to tip them. Not to say that you can't, but you also have your personal flotation device. Right. And paddle paddling is a great way to enjoy birds. Um, <laughs> Thank you, sir. Can I have another? If it was the, <laughs> if it was the '60s and we were British, that would be hilarious. Hmm. No, like on the Mississippi, we have all mm-hmm. kinds of islands you can land on. Sure. Um, we just found a Merlin family uh, on one of the islands. Nice. Yeah, it's just, we've seen mink, we've seen foxes. It's just a really cool thing to do. So Nice. All right. Any other stories? Uh, two more things. Uh, yeah. Number one, uh, apparently Spencer Pratt, formerly of the Hills fame, oh, God. is uh, the hummingbird hero we need right now. All right. Apparently, it's a thing with him. Somebody, like, posted a video of a guy, like, wearing this very frilly hat with little, with flowers all over it and little mm-hmm. hummingbird next to it, and hummingbirds flying all mm-hmm. around it. And I was like, that guy looks really familiar. And I was oh, like, sure. is that Spencer Pratt? It's a thing. So then I Googled Spencer Pratt hummingbirds. Mm-hmm. This is a thing he does with his Instagram. He is obsessed with hummingbirds around okay. their home. Great. And he is, yeah, he's he's feeding them all the time and videoing them, and he's trying to, well, he does what everybody does when they feel realize how fearless hummingbirds are. Mm-hmm. So you try to get them to feed off your head. Yeah. So anyway, if you want to see awesome. ridiculous videos of Spencer Pratt with big frilly hats with hummingbirds. Amazing. Uh, check it out. Okay. Okay, and then we have a letter from Joshua Glant. Okay. And apparently in one of our podcasts, I was curious if anybody knew what the term stringing was all about. Mm -hmm. And he says, I definitely know what stringing is. And I also (laughs) definitely know... But I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) But I also definitely know who our local stringer is. Mm -hmm. Greater Shearwater from Shore in Washington with no supporting notes on your checklist. Nuts! So anyway, he knows what a stringer is. Uh, And he said, oh, and in case you're looking for demographic info, I'm a 17-year-old birder from Seattle. So, okay. So, stringing. Somebody actually knows what it is out there. I don't think it's, I, I think it's something that is known. I know what it is in terms of, like, news. I don't know what it what is What do you in think terms of stringing burning. means? Like, a stringer is, like, the the line reporter that, like, oh, that's the yeah. person who goes out and, like, that's their beat. Yeah, no, stringing is, uh, it's somebody who reports a bird, mm-hmm. and they see it, and no one else sees it. Ah, okay. And they keep trying to say, no, 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 it's there. It's always at this time. Mm-hmm. And people go to see it. And so they're stringing you along. They're stringing you along, yes. Okay. And it's it's a relatively new term. And I mm-hmm. think like if you're in the ABA or if you're someone who does a lot of hardcore listing, you're familiar with the term. But I think your average garden variety birder mm-hmm. doesn't know what it is. Because I have an app where you can send birding emojis. Mm-hmm. And a couple of them are strings. And I've sent that to people, and they're like, I don't understand why you right. sent me that rope. And I'm like, it's not a rope, it's a string. So, uh, I'm trying, so I'm trying to think of a good example of stringing. So, like, if I, at my patch, mm-hmm. if I said that I had a king rail there, mm-hmm. and that I saw it, and I reported it to eBird, but I had no photographs with it, and then suddenly everybody came out and, like, taking time off work mm-hmm. trying to go see this bird, and it never showed up, it never showed up, and I kept reporting it, then that would be stringy. Okay. All right, we have another story. That would be it. Okay, this is Bird Shake Podcast number 226. If you have any questions for Sharon, you can email her. She is Sharon at birdchick.com. You can find her on Facebook. She's not on Twitter very much. I am on, I'm on Twitter more than you. Yes, but every time I say you can contact you on Twitter, you interrupt me to say that you're not on Twitter. So. That's true. All right, uh, we'll talk to you soon. Ta-ta.